Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry, your host. We're so glad you're joining with us today. We are continuing our series on the interior castle of St. Teresa of Avila, her masterpiece. And we are currently on the sixth mansion. So we're beginning it today. We're going to be ch- covering chapters one through three, and they cover a lot of material. This mansion is the one that she did 11 chapters on more than any of the other mansions. And so uh, there's a lot to be learned here. She has a lot to teach us. And we just hope that we can convey in some uh, proper way what she is uh, teaching us. And so I'm I'm happy to welcome uh, to this Carmelite conversation my fellow Carmelite. Teresa Rittenhouse. Teresa, how are you? Good morning. Just fine. Ready to get on with today's lesson. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we have a, a lot before us. It's it's a big uh, it's a big topic, and so we're counting on the Holy Spirit to to lead us and guide us. And I'm so glad you're joining me in this conversation. It makes it so much easier. And as always, we would like to begin with an opening prayer. So uh, here we are. We're in the month of July, which is devoted to the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we also have, in just a couple of days from when we're recording this, um, the feast day of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And so we're looking forward to celebrating in our community with a, a special holy hour for her and um so uh, we have a, a lot that we're um celebrating this month and counting on all those graces and so i think this prayer um approaches those topics and prepares us for this conversation so please teresa guide us in prayer all righty in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen jesus pour thy precious blood over me my body, mind, soul, and spirit, my conscience and subconscious, my intellect and will, my feelings, thoughts, emotions, and passions, my words and actions, my vocation, my relationships, family, friends, and possessions. Protect with thy precious blood all other activities of my life. Lord, I dedicate all of these things to thee, and I acknowledge thee as Lord and Master of all. Mary, Immaculate Conception, pure and holy Virgin Mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, draw each of us under thy veil. Guide me and shield me against all attacks and temptations that would violate the virtue of chastity. Lord Jesus Christ, I beg thee for the grace to remain guarded beneath the protective mantle of Mary surrounded by the holy briar from which was taken the holy crown of thorns and saturated with thy precious blood and the power of the Holy Spirit and with our guardian angels for the greater glory of the Father. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much. Okay, so the description for the sixth dwelling place. Um, We're going to use Teresa's own words. In the beginning of this chapter, chapter one of the sixth dwelling place, she says, Here the soul is wounded with love for its spouse and strives for more opportunities to be alone. And in conformity with its state, 
to rid itself of everything that can be an obstacle to this solitude. Now, this is a, a time of, of great purification. So I'm glad in that prayer we addressed the virtue of chastity because we want a pure soul. And in order to enter into the seventh dwelling place, um, we need to be purified. And so we're going to be talking a lot about the purifications today. But as always, we like to have some subtitles for this dwelling place to kind of give us a um, a very succinct uh, idea of what we're going to be discussing. So, Teresa, would you mind mentioning some of those for us? Well, this is the mansion of betrothal, the the engagement. Um, there's many mystical experiences here. Prayer of ecstatic union. The passion of God's love. This is the passion mansion. Well put. The agony and the ecstasy. Wounds of love. The interior desert. And when there's greater trials, there's greater favors. And of course, in this intense love, it's increasing our desires. Okay, so that gives us a snapshot of um, this dwelling place. And we're going to take um, several podcasts in discussing this mansion because there's so many chapters to to cover. And we don't want to just shorten it. So many people, um, when they are writing books on the interior castle or doing podcasts, they kind of they get to this point and they kind of just summarize short and then move on. And we're going to try to dive into it more deeply. Um, there are um, a lot of people who are willing to do that. And so we have many sources to consult. But, you know, um, so many of the podcasts uh, just don't uh, go into detail. Um, and so we we have a, a typically our audience is very interested in spiritual growth and in Carmelite spirituality. And so um, we feel like um, if this is too deep for some people, then, you know, they'll probably turn it off. But um, hopefully um, people will listen and they will learn something. And even if this has nothing to do where they are spiritually, it will still lead them to praising God and what he does with other souls and to know what is possible and that God is alive and well in souls throughout the world. And so we like to uh, take the Our Father prayer and and tie it with this mansion. And so we're going to look at this uh, petition of thy kingdom come. Now, why is that particular petition of the Our Father prayer related to the sixth mansion? Well, the soul has fallen deeply in love with his majesty. And of course, like you said, Teresa, this is the mansion of betrothal and um, where we join with Mary saying, Fiat, yes, thy will be done, which we did in the fifth mansion. But now it is that engagement. So it is a commitment uh, of a future dedicated life with the Lord. And since we are aspiring to be in full union with God in his kingdom, we must fight battles that oppose his kingdom. And those battles may occur within, within our very self, and also without in the world. A soul here um, experiences profound suffering and joy in Christ 
And that happens in the kingdom because you, you, you see what is not of the kingdom more clearly because you have been introduced to what is of the kingdom. And this also results in an de- increased detachment and self-forgetfulness. So it's other-oriented, especially God-oriented. And souls here are determined to do God's will in all things. And we finally realize that only God can console and satisfy the soul in this state. And, of course, there are many extraordinary mystical graces, supernatural graces that may occur here. However, those are not mandatory. You can be in the sixth mansion and not experience these extraordinary graces. However, um, St. Teresa Vava does a wonderful job in pointing them out so that if a soul were to have such an experience um, because of Teresa's teaching, they would know what to do. So again, we're thinking about thy kingdom come and we want it to be all over the earth. And of course, we do pray it and we pray it because Jesus taught us this prayer. And so we know that it will happen because Jesus prayed it and he doesn't pray anything that that won't happen. So um, we're looking forward to the kingdom, both in our individual souls and throughout the world. And this leads me to this scripture passage uh, that I think really applies to the sixth dwelling place. And it's from Psalm 27, verse 4 through 6. Would you mind um, reading that for us, Teresa, proclaiming it for us? (laughs) There you go. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Thank you. So there are many reasons to rejoice here, but there are many sufferings. And I think when we said it was the Passion Mansion, that that really um, tells us a lot. Okay. Now, the setting for this um, writing, what was happening in St. Teresa of Avila's life? Well, first of all, she was in this mansion. Um, they are deducing that it was probably about 15 years from the ages of 43 through 57. So a long period of time. And so lots of experience. And so the Lord gave her these experiences to share with the church worldwide. And there were many things happening in her life at this time. Um, It was a period where Christ told her, I will be a living book for you so that she didn't need to have other books, that he would provide all that she needed. This was also the time that she experienced the transpiercing of her soul or what we often call the the transverberation, um, which is coming up in August when we as Carmelites celebrate it. This is also the period that She received her mission as a foundress 
to found all those um, convents, um, first starting with St. Joseph's in Avila. This is the time she recruited St. John of the Cross to start uh, working with this Cas Carmelite friars. And this is also the time she wrote two books, the <laughs> autobiography of her life and the way of perfection. And, and of course, she was ordered to write these things. It wasn't that she's like, I'm going to write a book. But thankfully, um, we have those and we learn so much for him. This is also the period of intense desires for God, uh, frequent ecstasies and raptures. And we will be discussing those more um, today. We'll get to the transverberations. Uh, but first, we're going to start with the trials. Now, in the, the whole line of spiritual growth, where this sits, this sixth mansion, um, is it the same place where John of the Cross would call it the dark night of the spirit? Now, if you're familiar with John of the Cross, we realize that the, he called, um, the dark night was, <clears throat> excuse me, was divided into two parts, the dark night of the senses, which was related to the fourth mansion of the interior castle. And now the dark night of the spirit, which is the purification of the interior faculties of the soul the the depths of the soul um so this is the dark night of the spirit it's all one dark night but um this is how it lays on the framework of the entire castle and the fifth mansion in between those is kind of a, a little bit of a reprieve a, a little bit of a resting spot so it we have gone through now the soul has gone through the fourth mansion has had this little reprieve in the fifth mansion, had this union, prayer of union, where there was a certitude with God. And now we're in this dark night of the spirit, which can be a very arid and painful mystical union with lots of interior purification. And let us recall what St. John of the Cross taught us. He said, God perfects people gradually according to their human nature and proceeds from the lowest and most exterior to the highest and most interior. And that's what we've been experiencing as we've been going through these different mansions. So the soul at this point has already gone through the major part of the purification of the senses in the fourth dwelling place and is now in the spot of interior purification of the um, spirit. So. Now we go into chapter one of the greater trials of greater favors. So we have a list of both exterior and interior trials. So, um, Teresa, tell us about these exterior trials. Well, you know, friends speak badly about them. Friends are starting to turn away. You know, they see the changes that are happening. Uh, sometimes they don't understand. Sometimes there's jealousy. So your 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 support team kind of turns on you. Um, there's gossip. There's disapproval. There's ridicule. This can be so painful. Yeah, that ridicule is like, oh, you think you're holier than now kind of thing. Exactly. That can happen. Exactly. So um, 
And then there's praise. There's some people that are looking at you and they're pouring on the praise. Well, that becomes intolerable because you know as as quickly as they as they're praising you, then they ridicule you. So, you know, some of this turns on you. And so you just have to be very careful with what uh, people are saying around you, you know. <laughs> and also that praise, uh, the soul is more aware of their sinfulness and the grievy, grievousness of sin. And so to be praised also highlights, but they must not see my yuck or they wouldn't exactly. be saying that. Um, exactly. It's also that realization that all the good that we have comes from God so that God is glorified. And later, Teresa will talk about how uh, the praise becomes a little less burdensome. But Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you can be hit with severe illnesses during this time. Um, you know, just like we said, you're being purified on the inside. You're also being purified on the outside. So um, this is our time to totally trust in God's uh, working in us and trusting that he knows what we need. Um, then she had problems with her confessors. Doggone it. Now she's going to tell her confessors what's happening and they misunderstand. So that was so hurtful for her. Well, and and they even said that they thought she was being deceived by the devil and to give the fig sign, you know, which was a terrible sign in, in the Portuguese um, or in the Spanish uh, life. And so um, this comes from confessors that were uneducated or did not have experience. So Teresa is always telling us when we're experiencing these kind of things, find someone to talk to about it that is experienced and also um, is um, prayerful, living the prayer life um, and has knowledge. So all of those factors are very important, but um, it, it's nice that she uh, talk to us about all this. And I think having the trouble with confessors helped her to be more detailed and more, um, you know, scrutinize her experiences more clearly um, so that she could tell us about them even better. So there was a good that came out of that. And of course, um, those are terrible um, exterior trials and and they do affect us interiorly, all of that. Because we know how physical suffering can, you know, when it's severe, it can really um, distract your mental capacity so much that you, you're just trying to exist. Um, and you just groan. <laughs> and you think, okay, the Holy Spirit, groan with me, please, because I can't think, I can't pray, um, all that. But more particularly, there are some interior trials. What are those? We have the torment of the former sins, as you had said, and and fears of, of offending the Lord. You know, we see our yuck, and sometimes we're harder on ourselves than, uh, than we need to be. But the inability to explain things, these are mystical things. You know, when when you're going to your confessor, when you're uh, your spiritual advisor, these things are, some of them are very hard to explain. These are heavenly things. 
Um, and in saying that, we need to discern what we need to share, too. These are heavenly things. Um, so uh, she's helping us along that line, too. Dryness in prayer on top of the torments by the confessors. You know, uh, you're not receiving those consolations and, and feeling the, the good things when you're praying. Um, understanding the intellect is darkened. You know, God wants us to totally depend on him, rely on him. And so our own thinking is kind of muddled here. That way we're totally dependent on him. And I think the under, the understanding also is being purified. So what we understand about God, our conceptions of God are now being purified so that we come to know the true God in the true sense. Yes, not. Yes, exactly. Um, sometimes feeling rejected by God. Um, and we're not. We're He's testing us, you know. To, to continue to seek him, to, to continue to, to persevere. Um, total incapacitation, <laughs> uh, darkness, confusion, feeling isolated because, you know, like I said, friends sometimes are turning on us. Um, so we're kind of hanging out there. We're in that boat in the ocean. <laughs> And that, also, that also goes to that interior spiritual sense that, you know, nobody understands me. I can't explain where I'm at. Um, people are attacking me. I'm I'm in dryness in prayer. I feel like God is absent. So, you know, that that darkness is is part of what we're talking about here yeah. and this isolation. Um, so it's more than just, you know, your outward acquaintances it's a it's an interior isolation it's that butterfly flying around not knowing where to land it's wanting to go higher and seems to be stuck in this space all alone absolutely and then there's the anxiety that it's going to be deceived you know because we're you're flying around out there um the interior oppression and then she had uh, visions of hell during this time uh, that had to be totally scary. Um, not understanding what it reads. The intellect is incapable. Well, Jesus said he was going to be her living Bible. So um, those trials can be awfully heavy. Well, I do have a a quick quote here um, that I wanted to add um, about St. Teresa's description of the dark night where she mentions hell. And this is from uh, the first chapter. I think it's paragraph nine. She says, for there are many things which assault the soul with an interior oppression so keenly felt and so intolerable that I do not know to what it can be compared save to the torment of those who suffer in hell. For in this spiritual tempest, no consolation is possible. The soul seems not to feel the smallest spark of the love of God. Interiorly, she's incapable of receiving any comfort. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's really intense. Um, 
In fact, many people think that in this sixth mansion, souls are um, being purified of what they would have suffered in purgatory had they died at that time. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've got a lot of allergies going on. Right here. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> um, okay. So anyway, um, yeah. So so many exterior interior trials, and and again, Teresa's talking about a fifteen year period, and so it may ebb and flow, but uh, the intensity of these trials is uh, probably more extreme than what the soul had in the fourth mansion because it's more interior right and yeah. interior sufferings um are so much more painful than exterior physical type sufferings so but these trials are what make the soul the butterfly fly still higher as they're still aiming to be with the lord and of course we have the example of jesus christ and his passion that give us hope and so Teresa tells us what the best remedy is. Oh, and I it, love that. Yes, it's engage in external works of charity and to hope in the mercy of God who never fails those who hope in him. And how wonderful that we have had St. Faustina teaching us so much more about the mercy of God. And we've got Divine Mercy Sunday and Pope John Paul II uh, teaching us so much more about mercy. So. Um, so works of charity to others and hoping in the mercy of God. That's the remedy. So John Paul Thomas, I just love his book, the Interior Journey Toward God. He beautifully summarizes this chapter with these words. And I'm going to let Teresa read that for us. God is so powerful that he has taken suffering and death and transformed them into a means of holiness. Suffering is now endowed with a great spiritual power. The experience of suffering now transformed by grace can give a soul many virtues, such as courage, humility, and trust. Total death to oneself is now the means to a new life in Christ. The best thing a soul can do during these painful encounters is to trust in God, allow the sufferings to endure, to form, strength, humility, and courage, remind itself of the truths of God, and do external works of charity. In these dwelling places, the remedy is not to eliminate the suffering, it's to embrace it. We embrace it more fully in order to unite our lives to Christ, who embraced and transformed all suffering. Isn't that wonderful, the way he put that together? Ugh. Absolutely. Well. Now we've we've kind of made the soul feel very heavy. <laughs> so listeners, stay with us. <laughs> These trials are actually opportunities. So let's reframe all this suffering, all this purification that's happening here. And let's think of these trials and sufferings as opportunities. Well, what are the opportunities for? For grace, for healing, healing of those deep wounds. Um purification of those root sins, uh, perfection and growth in virtue, raising our place in heaven, right? Um, gaining in humility. The, the more we grow in humility, the more we attract God. Um, look at the example of the Blessed Mother, the most humble soul. 
growing deeper in surrender to God and a greater recognition of the gift and dependence upon God's grace and embracing sufferings to unite with Christ more and accept our trials and sufferings to prepare for spiritual betrothal and an increased surrender to God. So we need to embrace our trials. And it's interesting that, um, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about this embracing of trials. And I listened to a podcast by an exorcist, Father Chad Ripperger, and he was talking about the sorrowful heart of Mary. Um, oh, it was a great podcast. I had to just listen to little segments at a time because I had to stop and, you know, really ponder what he was saying. But he was talking about how when suffering comes, so many people try to push it away. So they resist. And he said, we should embrace that so that we can grow from it. And um, there also today I ran across it was from. Dan Burke's site of spiritual direction um, where from the Avala Institute, where he's talking about suffering. And in that description of this ebook that he's happy to share, he talks about embracing sufferings. And so this book is to help people learn how to do that. So I want to just point that out. You can uh, do a, a search on the Internet and find those uh, resources and podcasts. And um, that'll benefit you. Now, so we are longing for the temple where God reigns, right? So we're longing for the seventh mansion. We're longing for this uh, transforming union that happens in the seventh mansion. And I couldn't help but think as I prayed the divine office last Tuesday um, that this psalm in particular um, helped summarize this mansion as well. And it's Psalm 43 that we pray for morning prayer week two in the divine office. And so, um, Teresa, would you mind reading that for us? Defend me, O God, and plead my cause against a godless nation. From a deceitful and cunning men, rescue me, O God. Since you, O God, are my stronghold, why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning, oppressed by the foe? Oh, send forth your light and your truth. Let these be my guide. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. And I will come to the altar of God, the God of my joy, my Redeemer. I will thank you on the harp, O oh God, my God. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why groan within me? Hope in God, I will praise him still, my Savior and my God. I liked that that pointed out the hope and the praise. So no matter what we're going through, hope and praise, because we know that whatever mess we're in, if we keep our eyes on Christ, he will pull good for us out of this experience. And that's going to lead us into chapter two of the sixth dwelling place, which talks about ways the Lord awakens the soul and about the great desires for God, and in particular about the supernatural, extraordinary, mystical grace of the wounds of love. Um, there's degrees of that, but we're going to talk about one with Teresa in particular and this dwelling of immense desires. But before we do that, I think it would be good for us to review a couple 
terms just to refresh our memories so that um, we have a better understanding as we talk about some of these mystical things. So I'm turning in um, the second edition of the Interior Castle Study Edition put out by ICS Publications. I'm turning to the glossary and looking at the um, term powers or faculties. And it's talking about the powers or faculties of the soul. Now, it's kind of long, but I think it's important that we review all this. So I'm going to read it. Teresa speaks often of the powers or faculties of the soul, but she's not at all clear on what they are. She learned about them vaguely through the books she read and through the confessors and the, the learned men that she consulted. These terms originated with the ancient and medieval philosophers. Observing the different forms of life activity, these philosophers deduced that since we can do certain things, we have distinguishable powers for such activities. The external and internal senses are means by which we function at the level of both sensory and material creation. We can easily conclude that since we are able to see, hear, smell, touch, and taste things from the world around us, we have the external sense powers for doing so. And since we can picture to ourselves things, such as a tree or a cat, from the world around us, we have internal sense powers or faculties for doing such things. That's like imagination, right? We also have other faculties in order to deal with objects imperceptible to the senses. Objects like animal, human, truth, goodness, beauty. For this work, we have the spiritual faculty of intellect. Thus, we have external, internal, and spiritual faculties or powers by which we come to know in different ways the world around us. Okay, so that gives us an idea when we start talking about um, what the will, the imagination, and the memory, and the intellect do. Now, one other thing that I want to review is um, this term, um, let's see, supernatural. Okay, so Teresa uses this term rather than mystical to explain what God does in the soul or what we cannot achieve through our own efforts. Okay, and now I'm going to skip to visions. Now, the reason why I'm bringing up visions now is because she kind of refers to it, but everything that we talk about with visions also is applied to um, locutions, which we're going to talk about today. So she says, seeing, and we could also say hearing, is proper to the vision or the ears, as hearing is proper to the locution. Visions are supernatural perceptions of objects naturally invisible or not visible by human beings through any natural means. Therese divides the mystical visions into three general kinds, and these also apply to locutions, okay? The external or bodily, the internal or the imaginative, and the spiritual, which was the intellectual. These are according to the different levels of the human faculties, external sense faculties, internal sense faculties, and spiritual faculties. These three classes of mystical visions can be pure or mixed. 
And then I'm going to jump to what they say about intellectual visions. Because they're harder to understand. And she's going to discuss those. In these, we have the absence of any image. Without seeing anything with the eyes of the body or with those of the soul. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thus, they cannot be described. And Teresa tries hard to share with us something of the admiral reality of what she contemplates. So it was, for example, Jesus, Teresa was certain of Jesus' presence beside her. But when the confessor asked, what, well, what does he look like? She could not describe him because there wasn't a visual image of him. It was just an intuitive um, sense of his presence. Um, and here is another definition of intellectual visions from a different source. It says, it is an intuitive and supernatural knowledge of truths or of spiritual things or even of corporeal things but abstracted from all sensible form. So that was from a book called Mystical Phenomena compared to their diabolical counterfeit, um, which is a really big, thick book that goes into these things really detailed. <laughs> okay, so with that in mind, I want us to turn to um, the prayer that Teresa utters as she begins this chapter. So Teresa, would you lead us in her prayer? Oh, my powerful God, how sublime are your secrets and how different spiritual things are from all that is visible and understandable here below. There is nothing that serves to explain this favor, even though the favor is a very small one when compared to the very great ones you work in souls. All right, so sublime secrets, and she's going to reveal some of these things, um, these secrets in the way God works with the soul. Now, picture in your mind um, Bernini's famous statue of St. Teresa. It's of the the angel with an arrow piercing the heart of St. Teresa Baba, and so it's picturing her transverberation. So this is the kind of wound of love that we're talking about in this chapter. Um, and of course, the trials here continue to make the butterfly fly still, hard, still higher. The butterfly being in the image of the soul. So the, the soul is um, flying still higher. And she talks about how God calls and it's like a thunderclap. So it's sudden and, and unexpected. But these are precious wounds of love. So now, well, what exactly is this wound of love? What do you think, Teresa? Can you tell us? <laughs> it is a divine and delectable spiritual wounding of the soul. Like that fiery arrow shot into the soul. It is profound. It's lasting. It's caused by the knowledge of the works of the incarnation and the mysteries of faith. They burn and pierce the soul. The soul lovingly complains to God at not being able to leave this life and to enjoy the intimate union with him in heaven. So it's a trial to keep living. <laughs> I, I'm reminded of the poem of Teresa of Avila, where the refrain was, I die because I do not die. <laughs> yes. It desires us to be with God. and um, But 
God wants to increase our desires for him uh, to prove us, but also to draw us um, into that seventh dwelling place. And it would take intense desires and purification to get there. So now Teresa says that this action of love is so powerful that the soul dissolves with desire. And yet it doesn't know what to ask for since it clearly thinks that it, it's God is with it. So, you know, well, what is that? If it knows this, what does it desire or what pains it? What greater good does it want? And that's the question that Teresa even raises. And she's going to answer it with some descriptions here of these wounds of love. And Teresa, would you um, give us a list of what those are like? Well, it's a delightful pain. And this is what we don't understand. Um, how can it be so painful? But you're filled with love. This wound um, is satisfied even with its pain, with the, with the depths of love. It reaches the soul to its very depth. Um, and then she describes the arrow, you know, that this cherub is holding that pierces her heart. And it, um, her other description was that it sparks of this fire. Um, and that fire cauterizes, it heals, it transfigures, adorning the soul and preparing her for that desired encounter. And we recall um, so the, St. John of the Cross talking about that fire a lot. He uses that analogy a lot. So, okay, yes, good. Totally purification, you know. Uh, there's a certitude, you know, we've talked about this before, that there's no doubt that this is totally heavenly and divine. You can't make this happen. <laughs> this, this is God's will. You yes. are not in, in control in any way. Um, yeah. And if he wants us, it's not avoidable. Um, I said they're thinking about how a science person you know, uh, scientists would have really trouble with this because they they want empirical knowledge. They want to witness. And all this is about things that are happening entirely without control. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, now, this is lovely. It's not permanent and it's not continuous. So, um, you know, when we're left in this state, it isn't permanent. Um, but we're left with the desire to suffer that loving pain again because we know how sweet it is. These desires that the betrothal uh, to be consummated. So, you know, <laughs> this is where our soul wants us to be. This is where we want to be. By these desires, God awakens, enkindles, urges on, and he's captivating the soul. Yeah, so it's it's that that drawing the soul closer through all of these things and these wounds of love with this joy and this pain together. Um, so delightful, but still wounding. So, you know, it's important um, to have these desires for God. Um, and this and God develops those desires in us. Um, with his hide and seek game, right? <laughs> and his his favors and and then his withdrawing and stuff. So it increases the dars. But you know, if the 
If the saints had not desired to arrive at perfection in that seventh mansion, they would not have reached the goal. So it's important for us to have these very strong desires. Now, there's greater security in this favor. Now, we're going to be talking about a lot of mystical things. And some some of them are safer, uh, less able, um, less um, capable of the devil getting in there and messing it up. Okay. So the more interior, the the safer. So talk to us about this greater security in this favor of the wound of love. Well, you know, that devil wants to mimic everything God does. So there's a difference here. And that's why we're so lucky to have uh, St. Teresa's words tell us what is real and what is evil. So what is truth? The devil, he can cause that pain, uh, but he cannot join the pain with joy. Um, You know, pain is pain. Um, The Lord gives delight and peace. The devil cannot mimic that. Uh, The devil doesn't have access to this region where this pain comes from. So um, it brings wonderful benefits, a determination to suffer for God. So that's one that we can tell. We're we're wanting this, uh, the desire to have many trials, because we know it's all for the greater glory of God, not for us. And the determination to withdraw from earthly satisfactions and conversations and other things. So we're becoming more detached from the earthly uh, problems and, and things here. We know that uh, that there is greater, uh, you know, thy kingdom come. <laughs> right. And God also helps protect the soul because um, this is a soul that is answering his call in a more favorably fashion and um he's closer he's closer to the center <clears throat> and so um he does his part but he he continues to test us too to strengthen us and to help us grow in virtue and of course an increasing desire so I, i'm reminding of a of a friend of mine who says the joy and the suffering are the same francis <laughs> <laughs> like what does that mean but but here when we talk about these wounds of love yes and these are the people who are not afraid to suffer they are embracing suffering like jesus embraced that cross and physically you know that that wooden beam he's he's hanging on to it um some uh meditations say you know he even kissed it before he laid down upon it, um, but embracing our crosses. And so this um, finding, and I'm, I'm constantly are asking myself, well, how do you embrace suffering? So um, this is one of those things that I'm always looking for what other saints have suggested to, to help us understand embracing suffering. Of course, the perfect example is Jesus. But now there's other ways that the Lord awakens the soul that Teresa mentioned, but she doesn't go into as much detail here um, about this delightful enkindling. She says it's like a fragrance, but it, but you don't smell anything. She's just using that as an analogy. 
I think she comes up with good analogies because you can think about how <laughs> fragrance dis- diffuses throughout the air. So um, this could be a that diffusion throughout your your interior self or maybe a sense of God around you, feeling God's presence, um, moved with delightful desires to enjoy God and, um, you know, preparing it to make more intense acts of love and and praise of our God. So praying with a purer heart. And, you know, the purer your prayer, the more it pierces um, heaven and um, the more the prayers are answered. Now, I have to recommend that our listeners who are hearing this, if you want another um, another podcast to listen to about these wounds of love, I want to recommend CarmelCast. These are put out by our um, Discouse Carmelite friars and seminarians. And the one on July 10th on St. John of the Cross's Living Flame of Love Stanza 2, Part 1, done on the Carmel Cast podcast, um, which may be found on YouTube, is describing how the Trinity heals us by wounding us with love. And it will give you such a great perspective on the wounds of love hearing that conversation. Also, you can see online images of the incorrupt heart of St. Teresa of Avila, with the wound, the wound of the heart, physically present, though it was spiritually given. So the feast day of the transvibration of her heart is celebrated by the Carmelite family on August the 26th. And um, other people celebrated on August 25th, but we have another saint, uh, St. Teresa or St. Mary of Jesus Crucified, who we celebrate on August 25th. So um, August 26th, we celebrate the transverberation. Both Mary of Jesus Crucified and Teresa of Avila suffered this transverberation of the heart. So it's nice that they're side by side there. Um, Thank you, God. But anyway, this transverberation is a mystical grace wherein the saint's heart was pierced with a dart of love by an angel. And, And so that we reminded of Bernini's statue of St. Teresa of Avila in ecstasy being pierced by an arrow from the angel. Now, how was it discovered that St. Teresa of Avila's heart had this wound? Well, I looked up the story, and nine months after St. Teresa died, which was in 1582, her body was exhumed and was found to be incorrupt, which means it it, it didn't... Uh, dissipate into ashes. Um, Later, her heart was removed from her body and it was enclosed in a crystal vessel and placed in a jeweled silver reliquary. While this was being done, lo and behold, they discovered a glorious and wonderful sight. What was that? It was the wound um, from the angel's dart, which was visible on her heart. So they're very surprised to even find this. They know about this um, mystical happening in Teresa's life, but they didn't even think that it would be shown physically in her heart. And as they're putting her heart in this reliquary, they they discover this wound. And her heart has kept its color. And since the 19th century, 
three sharp thorns are visible at the base of her heart. And you can see this online. Just do a search for the um, heart of St. Teresa of Avila. Um, so it can be seen today at the Carmelite Monastery of Alba de Tormes in Spain. And there's a wonderful book. I have this book. And I think I've done a podcast on this topic. The Wonders of the Heart of St. Teresa of Jesus. Again, it's called The Wonders of the Heart of St. Teresa of Jesus by Simon of St. Joseph and Therese. That goes into great detail about Teresa's heart. It's hard to believe there was so much um, that, you know, there was a large book. Uh, it's probably could be out of print now. But um, very interesting what was uh, uh, meditated on and discovered about St. Teresa's heart. So I had to bring that up today as we talk about this wounds of love. So when I think of the wounds of love, I think of the transverberation of the heart of St. Teresa of Avila. So thank you, God, for all of that to help convince us of the reality of these wounds of love that you, you give to the soul. All right, now we're going to move on to the third chapter of this sixth dwelling place. And we're going to talk here now about the kinds of locutions, how God speaks to the soul, and the criteria of discernment. So this is very important um, for us to learn. And there is an introduction from the worksheet number 12 that we're that we were given several years ago when we were reading all of Teresa's works all in a row, getting prepared for the uh, 400th um, celebration of her. I think it was of her birth. Um, but anyway, they gave us worksheets on the interior castle. And this comes from that worksheet talking about the sixth mansion. Would you mind reading that for us, Teresa? It says, our faith is established in this truth. The invisible God, out of the abundance of his love, speaks to men as friends and lives among them so that he may invite and take them into fellowship with himself. God has revealed himself to us in Christ, the word par excellence. We know from sacred, sacred scripture how God has spoken to his people by means of specially chosen purposes and at crucial moments in the history of salvation, entrusting them with the mission of bearing witness. God also spoke to Teresa and confided to her the mission of witnessing to this loving solicitude and this divine communication. God continues to manifest himself in our times and in our personal history. God speaks to souls in many ways, and Teresa felt compelled to explain how the special communication of God is perceived and understood. So on one hand, St. Teresa of Avila is a witness of God speaking to the soul and then the many ways he does that. And then she's also teaching us about how to discern whether it is from God or whether it's from our imagination or whether it's from the evil one. So these Locutions, like we were reading about visions in the glossary of the second edition of the Interior Castle Study Guide, these locutions are extraordinary, mystical, supernatural manifestations of words perceived by the soul 
heard from another source, or another way to put it, locutions are the hearing of inward or outward supernatural words distinguished as outward, imaginative, or intellectual. And I can actually, um, there is a definition in, in the glossary here, um, but I'm, I'm not going to read that for now because we're going to, we're going to talk about the three categories here. Um, the outward bodily locutions, the imaginative locutions, and the intellectual locutions. So I'm going to let Teresa read those for us. And, and we just think that they're more outward to more interior as she um, talks to us about them. So the outward bodily locutions, these are the exterior, the oracle, auricular. auricular. They have as their object external words or sounds clearly localized outside. So that means heard outwardly through the ears. It's perceptible by the hearing. Now, these imaginative locutions are purely internal and they're in the imagination, the interior faculty of the soul. We imagine we hear without hearing in reality through our physical ears, uh, physical ears, not perceptible by the external senses, but only by the imagination. And then we have the intellectual locutions having nothing sensible about them. They are not perceptible by any sense either the external or internal senses, but they are directly received in the intelligence. They are the pure expression of the intellectual ideas or spiritual concepts without any image occurring in the most intimate depths of the soul. This is a simple communication of thought without words. This is how angels converse with each other. They are the clearest and safest of all locutions, and more is understood through them than is ever dreamed possible. Okay, so again, we have the outward, what you hear through the physical ear. Then we have the imagination, which is received interiorly, um, not through the ears, but interiorly heard. Um, and then we have the intellectual, which have nothing sensible about them. No image, no physical sensation. Um, and it's the clearest and safest. It's also the most in, internal, right? So St. Teresa tells us that these locutions, locutions can come from God, but they can also come from the devil. Or we can kind of self-compose them in our own imaginations she mentions how some souls with weak or what i would say active imaginations or she says melancholy which some people have interpreted as a mental illness like like you know somebody with a, a psychic or um, psychosomatic or psychological problem she warns us that the safest thing to do is to pay little attention to them especially if they contradict scripture, so they must go along with scripture. Um, if they don't, they're obviously not of God. But um, why pay little attention to them? Well, they exact what you need in the moment that they are received. 
but we really do need to know how to discern whether this is of God or the devil or ourselves. So um, we also remember here what John of the Cross counsels us from the, the book of the ascent of Mount Carmel. Um, the more exterior and corporeal these things are, the less certain is their divine origin. So if you're hearing things through the physical ears, that could possibly not be of God, okay? Um, because the more exterior, the less surety that is of God, right? So what do we do? <laughs> well, we've, we've got to exercise discernment. And one of the best ways to do that is to get spiritual direction. This is essential here. Anytime you suspect that you've experienced some kind of mystical um, grace, it's so important to go to a confessor or spiritual director that is knowledgeable, that is experienced, that is a prayer person themselves um, in order to discern whether this is of God or of yourself or of the devil. Very important for your spiritual life and for how you operate in the world. So when do the locutions come from God? How would we know that these are from God? Teresa, give us some ideas here. Well, just like the saint said, they are in conformity with the Holy Scripture. You know, they, they never deviate. God doesn't change. Um, they bear great power and authority. So if what is said, you know, like peace, do not be afraid. You know, that Jesus said those things. He gave it with power and authority. They leave the effects of quiet, of peace, and the readiness to praise God. They remain in the memory for a long time, and some are never forgotten. Uh, the clearness of it, the interior words, they're very distinctly formed, and they are very much more clearly understood than they would have been if they were heard by the ear. You know, sometimes we make mistakes, and, uh, you know, is that what I heard? But if it's in the soul, in the interior, there is no mistaking. It is clear. Counterfeit words by the imagination are undecided without consistency. They're unfinished. So our imagination can play tricks on us. You know, we can uh, get in our heads. That's why we need at this time spiritual directors uh, to keep us uh, focused and not so much in our heads. Strength. There is no escape for in spite of ourselves, we must listen. And if God wants our attention, he's going to give it. <laughs> cannot not listen. <laughs> no, it's not going to be avoidable. <laughs> and there's that certitude. I love that. You know, um, the certitude is so strong that even in things that in one's own opinion sometimes seem impossible, in which there is no doubt as to whether they will or will not happen, and the, the intellect wavers, there is an assurance in the soul, in the soul that itself, that it cannot be overcome. So, you know, so like if something sounds, oh, impossible, that that could possibly happen. Yet that certitude says, oh, but somehow God will make it work. And then they're so happy when they see it happen like that. <laughs> Confirms, you know, the certitude. So they have a certitude, but it's nice to have that confirmed, right? <laughs> Absolutely. 
Uh, and the, but the certainty shouldn't be so strong that if there's a locution concern, something serious about oneself and has to be carried out indeed or business affairs involving third parties, anything should ever be done or passed through one's mind without the opinion of a learned and prudent confessor and servant of God. You know, this is where you wait. Uh, some of these things. You know, she she knew she was going to be in the reform and and have comments, but here she is a little nun, and they don't listen to women, and especially little nuns. Uh, but she moved mountains, yes, so uh, you know that's that's that certitude. She just uh, waited and be, was patient, <laughs> and, she and got guidance. Place. And she got guidance. She she took it to her confessors. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. I'm thinking of, you know, some of the um, approved apparitions like Fatima and Lourdes, where the visionaries were told, you know, get a chapel built here. Right. Well, that involves a lot that involves third parties. Right. So, you know, the visionary would go to the bishop or their confessor, the spiritual director, and say, you know, this is what I was told, you know, and then they are, uh, are convinced by God that this is true, and then the work does proceed. So um, that's another example that more people p- could probably relate to since it's um, in our uh, approved apparitions history of our church. Well, so, this is, so this falls right in line. If the locutions are from God, then the Lord, when he so desires, will convince the confessor at those third parties, people that need to come into line, um, he will get the word to them too. So if he, the Lord, doesn't, the confessor and the soul are no longer under obligation to do what the locution directed. So if things don't fall in line, if things don't add up, then uh, then it wasn't to be. Uh, God still has has his hands in on this. And I think of um, in Our Lady of Guadalupe um, and the bishops like, okay, if this is a real thing, you know, this guy's come bothered me a couple of times now, uh, Juan Diego. And, um, you know, I don't know if this is true or not. So if it's true, then he should bring me some roses. And then he goes up there on that hill, and there's not supposed to be roses at that time of year. And he gathers the roses, put them in his tilma, and then he brings them to the bishop, and he drops open his tilma. And then there's that image for the Lady of Guadalupe. (laughs) That was very convincing, wasn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. So God uh, has a way of convincing others of the truth of the matters at hand. So if the locutions come from the imagination, though, there are none of these signs. There's neither certitude nor peace nor interior delight. So to just highlight what those points that you said, okay, conformity with scripture, we know they're from God, right? These are all when we know they're from God. Conformity with Holy Scripture. They have great power and authority because what they say happens, right? Um, they leave quiet and peace. The devil leaves division and dis- confusion. Yes. If they're from God, they remain in the memory a long time and sometimes never forgotten. There's clear clarity, there's strength, there's certitude. Um, and of course, there's discernment um, and confirmation. 
um, through uh, God's working in the souls uh, and who they're confessing or seeking spiritual direction from. So those are all very, very important points. So now we're going to go to the more um, particular in intellectual visions or locutions. And these are a little harder to understand because they are the purest, because there's no image, there's no um, sound. So this is, uh, you know, those intuitive uh, concepts. So it's a little more difficult to discuss. And what we say about the um, locution, the intellectual vision locution, she, she, she calls the intellectual locution of visions. So, but they apply to both intellectual visions and intellectual locutions, I think have so much in common. So let's talk about, um, the guidance that St. Teresa gives us when we can have assurance that an intellectual vision or locution comes from God. Well, she says the locution takes place in such intimate depths and a person with the ears of the soul seems to hear those words from the Lord himself so clearly and in so secret that this very way in which they are heard together with the acts that the vision itself produces assures that the person gives him certitude and that the devil can have no part to play in the locution. Wonderful, wonderful effects are left so that the soul may believe. At least there is an assurance that the locution doesn't come from the imagination. So it, it's in the soul. It's in the very depth of the soul. And I think her confessors helped her learn how to discern all of this more clearly. Of course, she had a lot of experience with inexperienced confessors that caused a lot of havoc. So, um, and yet she benefited by being able to be more detailed and more discerning herself. And then there's a, the clarity of the locution. The soul remembers every syllable. Remember, we said if you hear it from your ears, sometimes it's like, did I hear that correctly? Was it said in this way? But she's saying that you remember every syllable and the style in which it was spoken. Locutions fancied by the imagination are not so clear or distinct, but like something half dreamed. So, um, you know, you can't imagine this. If, if it is a locution, it is so very clear. In these locutions, one often is not thinking about what is heard. It may come unexpectedly, even in the midst of conversations, often refers to things about the future that we didn't even think or had entered into our minds. Um, so that's a, a you know, a, a, it's for the future. We didn't even think of it. It comes as in the case of a person who hears. And that of the imagination comes as in the case of a person who gradually composes what he himself wants to be told. Um, you know, that's the difference, too. Uh, if you're wanting to to do so many good things and you're you're wanting to uh, perfect your virtues and things, sometimes you can bring these things on yourself. Um so she's she's telling you that there is a difference. 
yeah, the, the words are very different. The, the soul is is being receptive. They're hearing these things. They're not hearing a word or two and then start adding on their own stuff, yes. right? Um, yes. Because that would Directing be the imagination it. kicking in. So yes. you can imagine where somebody could have, you know, maybe aspects of both, which muddle it and then take away from what God wants to do. So it's very important for us if we're hearing these words, not to add our own stuff to it. And and even, I would say, not to do our own interpretation. I think a lot of um, visionaries who receive messages try to interpret it uh, um, according to their own way. And I don't think, um, I think it's safest when somebody else uh, interprets or applies knowledge and, and um, theology to what was said instead of the person who receives it. I think it's safest if a person is receiving these kind of mystical locutions that um, they just stick to what was said <laughs> and leave yes. it at that. <laughs> yes. Don't add anything. Don't take anything away. Let, That's, let and like authority. you said, and try not to interpret. Um, go to the spiritual director, your advisor. Um, yes. Right. Absolutely. Uh, the words are very different. And with one of them, much is understood. Our intellect could not compose them so quickly. Um, it enlivens the understanding. And that's what we said. Divine wisdom is dropped in on these. Yeah, um, and it's the divine economy of words. Um, the words are so full of meaning that um, you could go on and on about what they mean. Um, so the divine economy, just one word says a lot. Absolutely. And there is often much uh, given much more to understand than is ever dreamed possible without words. So, yes, this divine wisdom, this divine knowledge is is uh, dropped in. Mm -hmm. It gives rise to humility, conscience of one's unworthiness, a forgetfulness of self, a desire to seek the will and honor of God. You know, she says this all the time, humility. Um, what a blessing to be looked at by God and favored in such a way. Uh, there are no ears to stop, nor is there the power to think of anything but what is said to the soul. So, you know, having it not in our ears or in our mind, it is directly dropped in on the soul. I love that. Yeah, and you can't not receive it because yes. God is giving it. And so you're just like, whoa, what was that <laughs> kind of thing? So um, then Teresa highlights what the devil's actions are in these locutions. So all these points are, are points that St. Teresa has given us. But now she's going to turn to help us understand where the devil mingles in here. Although um, in the sixth dwelling place the devil doesn't have as much access he can still cause some confusion and and mess things up and we can still sin as a person in the sixth dwelling place um but um the lord does try to protect his souls here too because he's he's trying to prepare them for this spiritual marriage so teresa tells us that the devil will not be able to counterfeit these effects that 
Teresa just mentioned, that were mentioned, or leave this peace or light in the soul. So peace and light, and that's indicative of God. On the contrary, the devil leaves restlessness and disturbance, but he can do little harm or none if the soul is humble and does what I have mentioned. That is, doesn't make a move to do a thing of what he hears. So you're not going to act on it without the discernment, right? And then the more it hears words of favor, the more humble it should be left. If it isn't, let it believe that the spirit is not from God. So if it hears things and then it gets puffed up and think, well, I'm a chosen one of God. I'm receiving messages or I'm special. I'm better than you because God talks to me and not you. Maybe because you're weaker that you need these. Who knows? But the point is, is that if it's from God, it should help you to be more humble, not to grow in pride. If you're growing in pride and reorienting your vision to self instead of to God, then that is not of God. And so you should not be doing what you're doing. So Teresa tells us clearly um, in one sentence here, when locutions are from God, what does she say? One thing is very certain is that when the spirit is from God, the soul esteems itself less. The greater the favor granted, it has more awareness of its sins and is more forgetful to its own gain. And its will and memory are employed more in seeking only the honor of God, nor does it think about its own profit. And it walks with greater fear, lest it will deviate in anything and with greater certitude that it never deserved any of those favors, but deserved hell. Yeah, really good summary of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I had mentioned about the friars giving us these worksheets when we were studying the interior castle as a as a community at large throughout the United States. Um, I think the world even. And they are they pointed out the Teresian councils. So I wanted to list them. There's five Teresian councils that they mentioned in this sixth mansion, um, particularly these chapters, uh, particularly chapter three on locutions. Number one, prudence and discernment. Number two, humility, which proceeds in conformity with scripture. Number three, submission to ecclesiastical judgment, allowing oneself to be discerned by another because we can deceive ourselves, right? Um, Number four, confidence in the mercy and fidelity of God. And five, placing one's eyes only on pleasing him with forgetfulness of self. I liked how they uh, put those points all together. Now, one of the books that I consulted in studying the interior castle this time around was Dan Burke's book called The Devil in the Castle. And he delineates the battles of each of the mansions. And so I was looking up, what did he say about the sixth mansion? And particularly um, at the beginning, these three chapters that we're talking about. And I, I recommend that book, uh, The Devil in the Castle by Dan Burke, um, because he goes into a, a much thorough treatment of these points that Teresa makes. Um, 
Now I've taken his points and I've made questions out of them because um, it, it kind of makes like a like a discernment questionless. So um, if you uh, were talking to someone and they're saying that they got a, some words and you know they might even not use the word locution, they may not even know that term, but they was like, I heard the Lord say. Um, well, these are the kind of questions you can ask to discern if this is of God, the devil, or or the self. So um, there's 11 questions because he had given 11 points on discerning the authenticity of locutions from God. Would you mind reading those questions for us? Yes. It says, do they strictly agree with scripture, um, the discernment of the spirits? Does it immediately bring the effect it proclaims? You know, like we said, peace, um, God be with you. Is it accompanied by deep peace, tranquility of the soul, inspiring it to offer praise and thanksgiving to God? Do those words vanish quickly from the memory? Then they're not from God. Or do they remain there for some time with great certainty, clarity, and strength of impression? Is the locution extremely clear? The soul cannot listen to it. It cannot not, do not. other than listen to it. Let me, let me say, it cannot not listen to it. So they have to hear it, right? Yes. Yeah. And, not, you not know, and, and like she said, you hear every syllable. Right. So um, was this something the soul was not even thinking about? You know, sometimes we could be thinking things so much that, we think we hear things, mm -hmm. um, but no, if the inspiration or the locution has no prior cause, it's more likely from God. Are the words heard from God or slowly composed by the imagination from ourself? Do the words have deeper meaning than the words might otherwise hold if constructed by the imagination? Does the locution cause confusion? Confusion is never a sign of God. Does the locution bear the effects or fruit of pride, self-satisfaction? Then it's not authentic. Or in humility, that is from God. Does this locution involve some action to be taken requiring a third party? And if so, you first, you first must discern with a confessor or a spiritual director. If it's authentic, the Lord will reveal this to the confessor or the spiritual director. Um, more people will fall in line with what you've heard uh, because uh, that's how that works. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God we can um, rely on confessors and spiritual directors to help us in these cases um, because we can delude ourselves. And the devil does get in there and try to um, mimic God and try to distort God's works. And we, we hear about that in, in many cases. So I love this little checklist of questions to help discern. And um, there are many times when good meaning, well-intentioned people might say, they heard God say, but it really come from their own thoughts, their own imaginations, rather than uh, a direct um, locution from God. So um, there are 
there are times when a, a person means well and they're trying to help another discern. So they say, you know, I, I, I think God said, or, um, I get the impression that this should be, you know, uh, we got, we've got to take that into discernment as well. Um, no, the walks up to you and said, God told me to tell you. Um, <laughs> we have to be very careful with that. So, uh, this set of discernment questions can help us in those situations as well. Well, and there was something I saw the other day where, um, if you're pushed into something, you know, it could be good, could be a good group, a good, uh, a good humanitarian thing, a moral thing. But if you're being pushed, that's the devil. God draws us. Jesus oh. leads us. So that too, um, you know, keep that in mind. Are you being pushed or are you being led or drawn? That's a really good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, um, what is the greatest antidote to demonic deception? (laughs) Humility, 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 humility. And I think that is something that um, when we are doing our... um, nightly examine that we ask ourselves you know how have i grown in humility today or where was i prideful today um this is a very important thing to do to help us grow um in in union with god so um the best example of humility is our lady um in responding to god's call now dan burke says he tells us what the demonic goal is. And again, it's, it's in his book. And I, I like that the, he pointed this out. He, he summarized it very nicely. The demonic goal is to distort or mimic supernatural encounters in order to lead you to pride or distract you away from the primary duties of your state in life through demonically simulated or manipulated experiences and he he does leave us with some encouragement he said those in this realm deal with much more subtle attempts at demonic manipulation that can be detected and overcome through how through persistent study like we're doing now with interior castle application of Teresa's test for discerning the authenticity of spiritual experiences which we're listed and spiritual direction with a learned and experienced director and the foundational disciplines of authentic discipleship. So um, nice encouragement there by Dan Burke. And again, um, he's very good at pointing out uh, the demonic deceptions that are occurring in each of these mansions. So I highly recommend that to, to read along with the interior castle. I think I'd probably read four or five different books simultaneously. <laughs> read about the fifth mansion in this book and this book and this. I have about five of them that are my number one go-tos. And <laughs> that's why I have so many of these books. <laughs> um, and thankfully, I can keep going back to them because I can't remember everything. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing all of them, though. But that that's what helps us and, and encourages us. And while we're talking about books, <laughs> I'm just going to put a little plug in for um, Carolyn Humphrey's book, 
called From Ash to Fire, an Odyssey in Prayer. It's about a, a contemporary journey through the interior castle of St. Teresa of Avila. So again, it's Carolyn Humphreys from Ash to Fire. And I think she does a, a tremendous job of helping us understand these um, mansions and applying it to our lives today. And, uh, and I think she probably wrote this, I don't know, probably 20, 30 years ago, but um, still very applicable. And I, she brings up many points for us to consider um, because of what we've learned through psychology or science or, or even the development of mystical thought. She brings up many good points. So highly recommend that to be reading that simultaneously with Dan Burke's book, with <laughs> John Paul Thomas's <laughs> book, with St. Kesovala's book. <laughs> Of course, if you only do get one, I, of course, say go to the source, go to the interior castle by Teresa Babala. All right. So um, now let's examine our own lives as su suggested in another um, point from the OCD worksheet in light of the criteria which St. Teresa offers those who pray. So if you are a prayer person, who devotes time to God in prayer. As a, as a secular discussed Carmelite, we're uh, obligated to spend 30 minutes in mental prayer each day. So uh, these are, of course, directed directly to us, but to anybody who prays. Uh, these are wonderful criteria. Teresa, could you read those for us, please? Well, I love this first one, and, and I hope people remember this for today. The spirit of faith. Pay no attention to such experiences, that these locutions are not essential to the service of God. So, you know, some saints receive these beautiful um, gifts, but a lot of us do not. And so we're not to just give up um, or say, oh, we, we can't attain that. It'll never be ours. It's all right. Um, yeah, not essential. To, yeah, not, not essential. So continue to have that spirit of faith, humility, always walk in humility. Do not think, even if the locutions are from God, that you are better because of them. For he spoke frequently with the Pharisees. <laughs> All the good comes from how one benefits from these words. So always humility, humility, humility. I think there was another place where Teresa Vavla said, and he spoke to Judas, too, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Confidence. There's confidence in the prayer of God and giving him praise. It does great harm not to believe that God has the power to do things that our intellects do not understand. So always trust in God. And then he's so all sisters, powerful. All that's right. All knowing, all loving, all giving um, confidence. And, and I always think of St. Therese um, with her yes. confidence in God, right? <laughs> yes. So, sisters, we don't have to look for reasons to understand the hidden things of God. Since we believe he is powerful, clearly we must believe that a, a worm with as limited a power as ours will not understand his grandeurs. Let us praise him, for he is pleased that we come to know some of them. So 
Let's praise him. Let's pray to him and trust him in all things. And the last thing here, we can hope to enjoy on earth the delights of heaven, even though it is true that these are blessings that the Lord gives to whomever he wills. His majesty would give them all to us if we loved him as he loves us. He doesn't desire anything else than to have those to whom to give. So he would, God would want to give all of this to everyone, all of his creatures. So but let's pray to love God as he loves us. That, that's my spiritual challenge for our listeners. I, I like to have a spiritual challenge each time. And so that's the one that pops into my mind today. Pray to love God as he loves us. Then all shall be well, right? And as Therese always says, all is grace. (laughs) Well, so we've talked a lot today. We've gone a little long, but, you know, these are very important chapters. And we're laying the basis of foundation also for understanding um, more of these mystical, supernatural uh, graces that occur uh, that Teresa says may occur in this sixth mansion. And so um, it was important to spend a little bit of extra time on them. So we talked about the trials, but also those are opportunities, right? We talked about the wounds of love and and particularly um, the ecstasy of St. Teresa of Allah, where the angel um, put an arrow into our heart. And then we talked about the locutions, the the words that we hear, the way God is waking up a soul through uh, words, whether it's exteriorly, internally, or intellectually. And then, of course, how to discern that. And I think we've really covered quite well uh, ways to discern. And so I hope that's been helpful to you. I thought these resources that I mentioned were very helpful to me. So I was happy to share them. So that brings us to our closing prayer, which I I took from John Paul Thomas's book, The Interior Journey Toward God. I just love all the prayers that, that he has. It's even hard to choose some sometimes. But Teresa, would you lead us in a closing prayer, please? I'd be pleased to. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord of all holiness, you are perfection. You are holiness. You are the infinite God of all. Please draw me fully into your divine presence. Free me from every sin. Heal me of every fault. Consume me with your love. I pray that I will never tire of the journey to you so that I will reside with you in the innermost dwelling place of my soul. In dwelling of the most holy trinity, I love you, I trust you, I surrender my life to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, thank you, Teresa, and I'm so grateful that you're willing to take the time and the effort to join me um, each month on these podcasts. It just makes it so much easier to have someone to share Um these with so thank you for your dedication and all the things that you bring forth in these podcasts thank you and and i hope you'll be joining me next month Uh, next month we are going to be talking about chapters four five and six of the interior castle and um 
you know, you can find um, some of the podcasts that Mark Danis, who now is a deacon, Deacon Mark Danis, um, that we did several years ago. Um, you can find them at www.carmeliteconversations.com, where Mark Danis and I uh, talked more briefly <laughs> about the interior castle. So, um, but of course, we have a lot of other podcasts there. So we invite you to go to CarmeliteConversations.com. And of course, there's many other apps, podcast apps <laughs> that you can hear us on. Um, and we thank you very much for tuning in. And we're always open to your comments. So you can go to CarmeliteConversations.com and, um, you know, make some suggestions uh, for what you'd like to hear about or uh, some critiques even um, or um, uh, something that's on your mind about the spiritual life. Uh, we're always happy to hear from you. And so we do hope you will join us next month. And again, Teresa, thank you so much for joining me. Um, thank so you, grateful. Yes, we're so grateful to have you with me. With that, we, we say goodbye until we meet again, and God bless you.